Welcome to the Warning Woods. Today's episode is about an old fisherman's account of a monster that terrorized a small community. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it five stars and writing a review. It helps spread the podcast to more listeners. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Warning Woods. I'm Miles Tridel, and this is Song of the Lake. I lived in a small fishing community for some time in my younger years. It was good for my soul to be out in nature, and I spent a good portion of my time on the water. I wasn't the greatest fisherman in town by any stretch of the imagination. No, that honor belonged to Jeb Garrity, but I could hold my own. I think old Jeb knew that too, because he would take me out with him once or twice a week. I can't imagine it was for company, because even with me on board, he barely spoke. Jeb's quiet, serious nature is why I took a story he once told me so seriously, and why I'm now going to share it with you. For the crusty former seaman to relay it, it must have some roots in the truth. I just have to believe that, because the story... well, you'll see. It goes like this. In the late 19th century, back when our community was just a dirt road and a few log cabins... Fishing became the main source of income for its residents. Many of the cabins were built right up against the lake so as to make it easy to throw out a few lines even when you were at home eating supper. I can imagine that peaceful sound of the lake waves lapping the shore as you fell asleep, making sure you spend your dream time on the lake as well. The lake was essential to the townsfolk. To most of them, it was life. But for some, it was soon found. It was death. Now in those times, without modern medicine or even any sort of hospital for 10 miles, children were much fewer and far between. If one of the women got pregnant, they had to carry the baby to term, deliver it, and keep it alive basically on will and a prayer. If the child survived infancy, it then had to remain healthy, be kept warm, and other such things we take for granted in modern times. Some say all the hardships of childbearing in those days made people more accepting of their children's fate when nature had its way with them. But the way Jeb told it, the people around here felt the pain of loss just as bad as anyone today would. So, when the first kid went missing back in 1893, the whole town helped to find him. The child was an eight-year-old boy who lived in one of the houses near the lake. Since the boy knew how to swim, it wasn't assumed he could have drowned at first. Sadly, they did find his body in the lake. It was found all tangled in the reeds near the shore, not far from his house. The tragedy struck the community hard, but a few of the men forced themselves to overcome their sadness to focus on the mystery of what had happened to the young boy. See, most people assumed he drowned, but most people weren't allowed to see his body. Or, rather, they weren't allowed to see what was left of it. I must apologize for the image I'm about to put in your head, but it's essential to understanding the gravity of this story. The poor child had been ripped apart. His skin was clawed away from many parts of his body, but the most gruesome aspect of his condition was the gaping cavity where his organs used to be. Whatever killed him had fed on him too. Now, the area had its fair share of wolves and other beasts, but those animals didn't typically go near the lake. Still, the men looked for tracks, droppings, or anything else that might indicate what did the boy in. 
they found no trace of any living creature nearby. A few days went by after the boy's death, and the town tried to move on. Whatever had taken the boy would not let them, though. Despair hit the town hard and heavy when an 11-year-old girl didn't come home from playing near the lake with her friends. The shoreline was searched immediately, especially after the residents heard testimony from the girl's friends, the last to see her alive. They said they had been trying to catch tadpoles near the shore where the water was clear and shallow. When the sun began to touch the horizon, they got out of the water to head home. The missing girl had not gotten out, though, and when her friends called to her, she ignored them. They said she had seemed different. She had her back to them and was just staring out at the water. When one of her friends tried to grab her arm to pull her away, she became hostile and told them to leave her alone. She said she was listening to the music. The other girls didn't hear any music and asked what she meant. She told them she was listening to the song of the lake. Had she spent too long in the sun? Did she have an overactive imagination? These were the types of questions the townsfolk discussed as they searched the lake for the missing girl. It was dark when they found her, which fortunately made it difficult for anyone who wasn't right next to her to see the condition of her body. It matched that of the boy. The town started to turn on itself. Suspicions were raised, accusations were thrown, and friendships were destroyed. With no trace of any predators in the area, that left the only logical conclusion to be murder. A theory was devised that whoever had killed the children mutilated the bodies and threw them in the lake to make it seem like something wild had done them in. All sorts of terrible ideas were proposed as to why the depraved murderer was killing the children. One man, a man named Andrew Garrity, became the main suspect. The only real reason was his demeanor, which, as I was told, sounded quite similar to that of his grandson, Jeb. He lived alone, kept to himself, and spent most of his time on or around the lake. It was speculated that the utter depravity of the murders was the result of Andrew's loneliness. Andrew, of course, denied his own involvement, but the story he offered instead was so fantastic that no one believed it. Not at first, anyway. He claimed that just a day before the second child had been killed, he had been fishing. He was out on his boat, far from shore, and having a fairly successful time of it. He had just dropped a new line when, peering over the boat, he noticed a school of fish scattering. The way they spread apart was unusual behavior. They typically stayed together when spooked. It was a survival mechanism. Something had caused them to panic in such a way as to abandon their instincts. Andrew then noticed that the fish which had been surrounding his little boat had all vanished. Not even the insects would come near him or the surrounding water. As he watched the still water for signs of movement, Andrew claimed he heard something splash behind him. He whipped his head around and caught the ripples of whatever had surfaced a moment before. He said from the sound and size of the ripples, there was no way it was caused by any of the lake's local species. Someone chuckled and soon the whole group was laughing along with him. The lake has gotten to you, old man, one neighbor shouted. You can't come up with a better story than a monster fish, another mocked. Andrew Garrity remained cool and quiet until the laughter and mockery had died down. Once the crowd was calmer, he continued. I will hold firm that I did not harm those children, 
but my life is not what's truly at stake here. There is mortal danger lurking in the lake. I've seen it myself. It tried to take me like it took those two dear children. Maybe its failure where I was concerned is why it began targeting the little ones. After I heard the splash and saw the ripples, I shifted to that side of the boat to watch for whatever had made the disturbance. From the water came a sound I had not heard before. Hard to describe, but it might have been a deep croak or a moan. It was resonating in the water below my boat. Slowly I noticed a sort of melody to it, a haunting song beckoning me towards the water. It grew louder and louder until something hit the boat from beneath. I had been in a trance and it rocked me forward enough to nearly throw me overboard. My vessel started to groan so as to make me shiver with fear. I thought it might be torn to pieces. Whatever the creature was, it was strong and it wanted me. Thank the Lord my craft held against the creature's efforts to tear it apart. The groaning of wood ceased and I was left in the quiet again. Those who had just been mocking Andrew now sat attentively. Whether they believed him or not, his story had them captivated. I wanted to row back to shore, but I was terrified the thing might take the oars from my hands and leave me stranded. How was I to know whether it had given up or was just waiting for me to make myself available to it again? That's what I was wondering when my boat got rocked again by a powerful blow. This time, I did fall in. Someone audibly gasped. Andrew gazed over the crowd with distant eyes. It was clear the memory was difficult to relive. I managed to catch the edge with one hand and started pulling myself back in the boat as soon as I had landed in the cold water. It was fast though, the creature. It wrapped long fingers around one of my ankles and stripped my boot off as I pulled myself up. If I hadn't been wearing that boot, I have no doubt the horrible thing would have yanked me under the surface, never to be seen again. At that point, Andrew bent over and lifted the hem of his pant leg up to his knee. The crowd saw the bruises, four of them, which wrapped around his shin. The skin had been broken in some places marked by dried blood. How did you get away? How did you fend the thing off? asked one of the accusers. The creature made one more attempt. After I rolled back into the boat, I was lying on my back. There was a splash, and the thing sprung out of the water. You saw it? Someone interrupted. Aye, I saw it. It's an image I'll never forget. The creature was the color of the lake. It had arms and legs almost as long as the boat. It had webs between its fingers and toes like a frog. I guess that's how it swam so fast. I got the best look at its face though, because the thing latched onto the edge of the boat with its teeth. It had rows of teeth like daggers, spreading all across its wide mouth. It had no nose to speak of. Its eyes were on the sides of its head. They were slit like a snake's, and filled with rage. Rage and hunger. The devilish thing looked to be some combination of amphibian, reptile, and man. I couldn't look at it too long, though. If I had hesitated a moment more, I wouldn't be here before you all today. I grabbed an oar and beat the monster over the head. With a wild screech, it disappeared under the surface. It was dead? Someone asked. I hoped so. It's what I told myself to garner the courage to stick those oars in the water and paddle to shore. But, as the events of recent days have proven, 
it is still very much alive. Now, that's how Jeb Garrity ends the story. Trust me, I've tried to get more out of him. Did anyone else see the creature? Did anyone else get hurt or killed? He says the answer to that one is no. So, if no one else was hurt, how did the community drive the thing away? How did they get rid of it? On the one occasion I convinced Jeb to discuss the story, he gave me only a warning. Just keep the story in mind when you're out on the lake. There's no telling why it came or why it went. Maybe it came down the river one day and continued on the next. Maybe it curled up and died on the bottom of the lake. Or, maybe, it's waiting for us to forget. Waiting for us to drop our guard so it can creep back up from the depths and lure us in with its song. You can support The Warning Woods by clicking the Anchor Support link in the description, or by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. Of course, the best way to help is by writing a review and following this podcast in Apple Podcasts or subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening.